I am Madison Timmons. I'm Chris Susie. And we're paranormal specialists who live in the most haunted city on earth, Savannah, Georgia. Every day is Halloween in our line of work, so join us as we spin true tales of haunts, murders, and disturbing Savannah history. I'm Madison. I'm Chris. And, and welcome, welcome to the most haunted city on earth. Hey, y'all, before we get into this episode, we do have exciting news. Our podcast has been nominated as Best Local Podcast here in Savannah by Connect Savannah. Every year, they have their best of competition. It's a very acclaimed competition here in Savannah. And so it's a really big honor to be nominated for it. We really do need your help voting, though. You can vote every single day, and we have a link in our description for it. Uh, so it is under Best Local Podcast for the Most Haunted City on Earth. But while you are there, we are nominated for some other various ventures. So Savannah Underground is nominated for Best Local Theater Production. And Chris's uh, improv troupe, Odd Lot, is nominated for Best Local Comedy Troupe. And then JT was nominated for Best Local Theater Director. And that is under John Taylor Timmons if you didn't know his full name by now. so um, But we do really appreciate you guys voting, and it is a big deal if you win this competition. So let's be the first ghost podcast to win yeah, that category. Come on. Nightmare news. Nightmare news. Yes. Hello, and welcome back, y'all, to another episode of The Most Haunted City on Earth. My name is Madison Timmons. I'm Chris Susie, And I'm JT Timmons. And today we have a new segment for you. Woo! Yes, we're bringing in new fun things. Uh, this one is called Nightmare News. Insert Chris's Nightmare <laughs> News. Go ahead and do it, Chris. Nightmare News. So there you go. Nice. So basically with this, JT is going to read us true hauntings or various scary stories and we're going to uh predict how they're going to end right yeah and yeah. what is the sources where are the sources uh so Just these are around? these are uh legitimate um legitimate uh, uh media companies right. so sure. that that wrote about paranormal sure. things at one point or another so you want to just go ahead and oh wait hold on we gotta we gotta thank our pair of junkies all right we would love to thank Kelsey Kristen Lexi Golford Dolce Maria and Alexandra Lynch thank y'all so much for becoming pair of junkies we're really really excited to have you mm-hmm. yes Is that knocking. I know. There's a knocking it's on the, the door. It's the pyrite man from outside my window. He's yeah, that's very, very loud and large, whatever I it is. I know. Goodness gracious. <laughs> or it's a raccoon. From the exorcist room. Yes. Oh, All it's right. on the roof. It's on the roof? Even worse. It's it's Santa Claus with his demented reindeer. It's on the roof? Uh-oh. Okay. Great. Cool. So cool. it's either All right. Santa Claus or a demented raccoon. That's if you're watching this, with. look into the darkness between Madison and I. See if you can see. See if you can see our new ghost friend. Some terror happening in in the background. I swear one day it's going to happen where people are going to send us screenshots and they're going to be like, you're like, did you see this? And I'm like, like, we don't watch this. (laughs) All right. Y'all ready? Here we go. Let's jump into it. So what the heck? God. (laughs) It sounds like it's in the next room too. It does. That's insane. Okay. All right. Um, The first... Didn't that not sound like something fell? That literally is right there. Hello? Is it uh, Brave Face? I I don't know. 
I mean, that literally sounded right there. It sounded like something not. fell okay. in the in the ex- ex- <sighs> room. We okay. may have a ghost hunt right here. Like, yeah, I know, right. right? <laughs> Goodness gracious! All right, the first article comes from Click to Houston, and it is called "They Can't Let It Go." Haunted Elsa doll returns to Houston family <laughs> after being thrown out multiple times. Not the haunted Elsa. Oh, yeah. And a quote from that is, if the doll comes back, I might have to open my mind to some of the more supernatural solutions. All right. Here we go. Um, I will say that Brianna Edwards wrote this. All right. Just wanted to source her. All right. Here we go. On Christmas of 2013, a Houston-area girl was gifted an Elsa doll, and all was well, until it wasn't. Always. The doll recited phrases from the movie Frozen and sang, let it go, when a button on its necklace was pressed. For two years, it did that in English, Mother Emily Madonia said. In 2015, it started doing it alternating between Spanish and English. There wasn't a button that changed these. It was just random. The family has owned the doll for more than six years and never changed its batteries. The mother says the doll would randomly begin to speak and sing even with its uh, switched off. In December 2019, the family decided to get rid of the doll. However, Elsa wasn't going to let this family go. Despite throwing it out in the trash, the family found the doll inside of a bench in their living room weeks later. The kids insisted they didn't put it there, and I believe them because they would have had to dug through the garbage outside, Madonia said. Elsa completely stopped operating in English and began to only speak and sing in Spanish. Hmm. <laughs> I love that. All right, <laughs> it's so creepy. It's super creepy because it's like it's like what like a maybe a maybe a Hispanic like entity or demon or something. Maybe not necessarily. Where, where was this? Demon, but you know, uh, Houston, okay. Houston, oh, yeah. Texas. Sure. Texas. That is very uh, yeah, it's very plausible. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a demon, though. I know y'all know that JT uh, always wants it to be a demon. Sometimes yes. entities do possess objects because they want to feel. He, somewhat human again uh, dolls especially, especially dolls yep yeah. so mm-hmm. anyways just wanted to clarify that before we get comments like and i think it's a demon Bruh. <laughs> all right here we go and let's see let's see where was i keep talking okay so, yeah, uh, and another <laughs> thing is you know when 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 you start going down the list of uh things that could be going on small shorts small things you know if if the doll has you know a uh, a memory that is in spanish and there was you know a uh a marketing thing it could just be a small little um you know uh, solder glitch yeah. that you know that that yeah. caused this kind of short however um any story that is i threw it away and it was back in my house i i automatically start gauging it because I've heard that story many times. As a matter of fact, I have two dolls that were of that, you know, people saying I threw it out and, you know, and one of them was I threw it out when I was a teenager. And then like when I was uh, cleaning my child's room, some 10 years later, it was in the room. And she was like, I had no idea how long it had been in the room. I have no idea where it came from. But, you know, she, and this was like states, 
They had moved several times. She had gotten married. <laughs> they had the whole life. And then this doll was all of a sudden in the room. And she, uh, she immediately was like, no, no, thank you. Yeah, that's awful. Um, <laughs> I mean, I got it, so uh, there's also um, a lot of stories of different children's toys that talked. Uh, my sister had a haunted Teletubby right. um, that my mom hated, but it would speak in ways that the Teletubbies should not have been programmed because it was, it was supposed to basically like you push the like little square in the center of the Teletubby's button or belly and it would go you know and Teletubby talk or whatever and uh, but it would say like actual words that was um uh an issue with Furbies I don't know if you oh yeah you remember the Furby craze Furbies (laughs) apparently never really turn off so like they're always listening and it became such an issue that the government uh, banned them from military posts for fear that they were collecting intelligence. Whoa! You know that they that you might actually say something of a sensitive nature, and the, oh. the Furby might be recording. Is that it what somehow. they is that what they found in the Chinese balloon? Yeah, a bunch of Furbies. Bunch of Furbies. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, well, and and I've I've known many people to say that their Furbies would just start talking in the middle of the night. They'd it wake does. up, oh, and man. the Furby's like, "Help! Help!" Oh lord. <laughs> it's like, All right. Okay. So give back to this. Here's back to the story. I found where I was. Once again, the family attempted to throw out the Elsa doll. Madonia's husband double bagged the doll and placed it at the bottom of the garbage can to be taken away on trash day. The family traveled and forgot about it. But when they returned, their daughter found her old friend right outside their house. Okay, guys, seriously, we need help. (laughs) To recap for those of you who have not been following our Elsa doll saga, Matt threw it away weeks ago, and then we found it inside a wooden bench, Madonia wrote on Facebook. Okay, so we are weirded out and tightly wrapped it in its own garbage bag and put the garbage bag inside another garbage bag filled with other garbage and put it in the bottom of our garbage can underneath a bunch of other bags of garbage and wheeled it to the curb, and it was collected on garbage day. Great, right? We went out of town, forgot about it. Today, Aurelia says, Mom, I saw the Elsa doll again in the backyard. Ugh. <laughs> and then in all caps, help us get rid of this haunted doll. <laughs> all right. Chris is like, uh, I-, I want it. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want the haunted Elsa doll. Oh, boy. When asked if she believed a prank was being pulled, Madonia said, The doll has some marker on her from my daughter coloring over the years. So I know the doll that reappeared was the original and not a replacement. Yikes, big yikes. Okay. Most logical thinkers believe it's a prank, but I don't understand how or when it was done, especially because the garbage truck had taken it away. The family has made a final attempt to get rid of their daughter's old toy, but this time Elsa isn't going into the unknown. (laughs) <laughs> here's where you, what you have to guess. Okay. Did they? Wait, or, wait, wait. Yeah, I was just saying, yeah. I, I, I would make predictions, but go ahead. Oh, no, no, give me a prediction. Well, See I was going to say, uh, you know, the, most people fall into the terrible trap of setting these things on fire, yes. which That's is a, a mistake. Burn it. Yeah. Do not set cursed objects on fire. Yes. Oh, but why? So, interestingly enough, when a spirit decides to inhabit a body of vessel when the vessel is notably destroyed that spirit gets a second chance at a more formidable existence what you have to realize about spirits is they only understand the world as we understand it you know their their 
ability to operate in our existence hinges heavily upon our expectations. So if it's living in a world where we believe that when our body dies, our spirits are freed, guess what? When you destroy the body, that spirit is freed and now has a new definition of its own existence and can be very volatile and very dangerous. That's why you never burn Ouija boards. You never, you know, do not destroy the, the, the cursed objects. You usually have to give it a proper burial. You have to treat it as if it had passed. And then you're using the rituals that are accepted by our, you know, communal society as the passage of death. Because then they have to adhere to the fact that we're putting them in a place, we're blessing the place, we're holding them in place. That's why we put tombstones on top of dead bodies so that there's a marker suggesting that that's where you belong. Do not follow us home. Do not do these things. So, you know, uh, don't, don't burn or destroy thinking that because you've destroyed the body, you have gotten rid of the spirit. The spirit actually can become much more forceful after the body quote unquote body is destroyed there you have it folks all right did they a burn it did they b fly it to a different country did they c drop it at the dump did they d mail it to a friend i think they dropped it at the dump like wanted to physically put it there because um it seems like you know, they, they're, they're logical thinkers in a way where they're thinking, well, maybe somebody saw the doll in the trash can is like, oh, somebody accidentally threw a kid's toy away. Let me put it in the yard or at the house or something. Sure. You know, um, I feel like their good point. thoughts are probably like, if I see myself put this in the dump, it can't come back with me. Yeah. That's my thought. Uh, As a person who frequently receives cursed items in the mail, I have a fear that they sent it to someone figuring that that person would then babysit it. Um, Which don't, don't do that. Don't, don't drop, don't drop scary things off with, with friends. That's. Unless they ask for it. Yeah. If they ask for it, maybe, but even then you're still responsible if the doll wakes up in the middle of the night and pokes their eyes out. So be, be mindful. All right. Y'all ready to hear it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The family has made a final attempt to get rid of their daughter's old toy, but this time Elsa isn't going into the unknown. The doll was mailed oh, without no. a return address to a family friend in Minnesota. That poor person. <laughs> if the doll comes back, I might have to open my mind to some of the more supernatural solutions, Madonia said. Luckily for Madonia, the doll was received by her Minnesotan friend, Chris Hogan, who <laughs> shared a final update on his Facebook. And um, you, you, you'll be able to see the article. I'll, I'll link it in the description. But um, he said, and now for the rest of the story, she made it to Minnesota and is taped to the brush guard of my Jeep. There you go. If anything weird happens, I'm welding her into a steel pipe and sinking it in the lake of the woods, Hogan wrote. There you go. That's... That's akin to burial. That's, you know, uh, causing the body to, to remain intact because the spirit oftentimes will not remove itself from something where it is intact. You know, usually it needs to have another vessel to get into. So sealing it up, burying it, doing things like that, it really does. Uh, again, it's so weird because these rules are very arbitrary, but they are the rules that we live by. We created a lot of rituals around death to allow us to treat the dead 
or spirits that do not belong in this realm to give us a way to deal with them. So the moral of that story is don't send your cursed objects to your friend Chris's. Your, yeah. yeah. No Chris's really appreciate that. <laughs> don't, just don't do it. But um, do we have a second one, JT? Yep. Awesome. All right, here we go. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Let's let's do it. Let's do it. So, this one is family accused of killing man during apparent exorcism believed a demon was in him. Mm. Yep. Oof. Yep. 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 And this is from the uh, Independent, UK. All right. I don't see where it said uh, somebody uh, wrote it. Maybe it'll be at the end. Um, a family accused of killing a man during an apparent exorcism believed that he had been possessed by a demon, a court has been told. Kennedy Ife, 26 years old, died in his home in Enfield, North London on the 22nd of August, 2016, after he was allegedly tied up using cable ties, rope, and handcuffs as his family tried to cure him, in quotes. He had apparently become unwell two weeks earlier and had complained of something and difficulty sleeping. A few days later, Mr. Ife apparently complained about a python or a snake inside him. Mm. The court heard that Colin Ife... Kenny's brother had told police something took over his brother that was not natural before relatives decided to restrain him. In a police interview, the 26-year-old said there was another personality coming through his brother in the days leading up to his death. It's clear that thing was in him, what we believed was a demon because it was not natural. It was clearly trying to kill him, he said. We had to restrain him for himself. It was clear if we didn't restrain him, he could have tried to harm people in our family. He told officers Mr. Ife was hearing voices and had mentioned a joke he made about the number 666 when he was a teenager, like he was regretting something. Colin Ife said his brother seemed to improve at times, when the family prayed for him, but added, at a certain time of night, like a full moon, he would just click. Mm. He told police the family who jurors have heard uh, hold deep, charismatic Christian beliefs, removed all the knives from the kitchen and decided to restrain Mr. Ife when he became, when he became aggressive and tried to get into his mother's bedroom. When it got to the violent stage, we said, no, we have to protect him, he added. The court has heard how Harry I-32 called 999 on, that's just 666 upside down, on the, 20, on the 22nd of <laughs> August, <laughs> Sorry. saying that his younger brother had been complaining of dehydration. 
Paramedics who arrived at the house were told Mr. Ife had been behaving abnormally over three days. Mr. Ife was said to become very agitated and develop breathing difficulties. Despite efforts to resuscitate him, he was pronounced dead at 10.17 a.m. While police were at the house, Colin Ife allegedly carried out an attempted resurrection by chanting and praying for Mr. Ife. The court heard that a postmortem examination revealed more than 60 injuries on Mr. Ife's body, including a possible bite. His father, who is based in Nigeria, was found to also have a bite injury on the shoulder, while four of the brothers also had minor injuries. Colin Ife, his parents, Kenneth and Josephine, and brothers Roy, Harry, Samuel, and Daniel are on trial at the Old Bailey accused of manslaughter. The seven defendants deny manslaughter, false imprisonment, and causing or allowing the death of a vulnerable adult between 19 and 23rd of August 2016. Prosecutor Tom Little QC had previously told the court Mr. Ive died because his own family decided that because he had become and remained unwell, he should be restrained. Whether this was some form of exorcism will be a matter for you in due course, Mr. Little said. In short, the Ive family took the law into their own hands. The trial continues. So go ahead and talk about that one then I'll uh, and then I'll give you the um, and then I will give you the question so I get very weary when people um, say that they take it upon themselves to perform an exorcism um, because typically it takes some time to decipher whether it basically when it comes to exorcisms you want to rule out any form of mental illness or any kind of um, issue that could be going on with the individual. You always want to lean towards medical diagnosis versus uh, like over paranormal. And so I get weary when it's like such a short amount of time that they decide they're like that it has to be an exorcism because there are so many uh, people who have died because of false exorcisms in history, um, especially by deeply religious individuals. Uh, so I, I get very nervous about that, and I'm not entirely sure that he was possessed. Um, sure, like a lot of the symptoms are similar, but it's also very similar to an individual who needed to seek medical right. attention. Schizophrenia. Right. Mania. And, you know, even the word mania... Um, derives itself because observable since, you know, the beginning of the human race, um, people's moods and tendencies and and mentalities and moods can change under a full moon. So we actually came up with a word, lunacy, mania, that come from a a concept of of people losing their senses when there's a full moon. and unfortunately, even even with sanctioned exorcisms, great harm can be done. Oh, even yeah. with you know organized uh, exorcisms, and 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 the truth and the scariest truth of them all is, we are really playing with fire, not knowing all of the aspects, and we are placing a lot of trust into faith. I've actually been a, a part to five exorcist rites, 
Um, and in all five of them, uh, the disturbance came back a few years later or within a few years. The, the, whatever the disturbance was that they originally cited for cause of exorcism, they did stop at, at the, the performance of the exorcism, but they didn't stay away, uh, which suggests all, all, all forms of speculation to come to it. Uh, it's, it's tragic. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking of, um, they turned into a movie, uh, The Exorcism, Emily Rose. It was a, it yes. was actually a German oh, woman. Gosh. And, um, and, the and, and the worst part about it is I, I want to say that extreme dehydration is usually the ultimate cause of death mm-hmm. is these people do not give their, um, you know, subjects water. Uh, and one of the things that, and in the most extreme cases of exorcism, one of the things that they're thinking is to get the body so worn down, so close to death that the demon inside the body realizes it's not a viable vessel. And so the demon leaves thinking that it will be trapped. You know, it, it, will, it will lose its access to this world when the body dies because it's being held in kind of a religious fervor that the demon, if this body dies, doesn't have access. Because... This also goes into why do demons possess humans? You know, what, what is that whole point? It's about having influence in our world. It's about having some kind of foothold in our world because they can stay a spiritual entity. And the spiritual entity, whatever influence it has, is nothing compared to being inside a human being and operating, which here comes the scary part. Some demons don't contort and twist or do things. They are just in and they live out their lives, and they do their things, and they are full of malice and strangeness, but they do not appear to be demonic. They're just jerks. You know, they're just living out a life where their influence, their influence on the world is, is being uh, toxic. Or, you know, and so the conversation will go back and forth, but if you were to follow that concept, it's like a demon possesses a person why does it have to twist the person and blister them and, and make them speak in foreign languages when it could just make them wreak havoc in the life that they lead? When they could just wreak havoc for you know how, however long they are in control of the person. And so a lot of people will assume that an exorcism is, is qualified when the demon is identified in the body. And usually that's because the person being possessed is fighting it. And that's where the damage comes in. That's where all of this back and forth comes in. The demon is trying to have control and the person is still fighting it and that becomes apparent. So there are, I, if, you, if you subscribe to demonic possession, there are probably a lot of successful possessions in the world. There are probably people who have had a demon possess them and it does not alter their appearance, their actions in any way that you would note except maybe they are now making bad decisions. <laughs> They're now being a, a destructive force in the lives of others. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a hot button topic, really. And uh, I try not to think about it too much because it sits right at the, at the line of destructive belief and destructive um, uh, action because very rarely are you dealing with something as simple as Oh, that's a demon because there is. There's there's a number of psychological uh, profiles that fit what most people would call demonic. And when you think that most 
exorcisms, the rites of exorcism came about long before there were mental analyses, long before there was, you know, um, uh, physical abnormalities that could be uh, measured, engaged. And, you know, uh, if you show up and you have, you know, uh, a weird blister on your head, it's like, oh, demon. You know, if, if you've got these things that were not the norm, behavior, physicalities, you know, albinos had it very hard, uh, you know, uh, hunchbacks, you know, uh, any type of deformity becomes a, uh, a mark from the other side. And so we need to be very cautious as we move forward. If we want to be a modern society, knowing that exorcism is a rites of passage that may not be the answer for everyone as a spiritual answer, it's interesting and, and can be fortified. But when you start doing physical damage, you got to really ask yourself, you know, what are you doing? And that's why, you know, like the Catholic Church, who does perform most Christian exorcisms, if not like almost all of them, in the U.S. at least, um, they're not allowed to get a a thumbs up until they can prove. They have a council. They do. If they can prove without a a reasonable doubt that there is no mental illness present in that person and this is the only option, that's when they can proceed. So, you know, if for some reason you ever end up in a situation where you believe that somebody might be possessed in your life, maybe take them to somebody who... Get counseling. Absolutely. Because, you know, uh, it's a two-way road. And I want to say that the Catholic rites of of exorcism now demand, like, medical either attention or medical Mm -hmm. consultation. So, you know, you you should not just jump into it. I I mean, and famously in Savannah, there have been several Episcopal exorcisms Mm -hmm. and things like that. And, and nine times out of ten, they are about structuring a faith of behavior more than they are driving a demon out. They are supplying a type of support to the person who is going through some kind of issue that is heavily weighing upon them. So be, be mindful that, you know, when you're strapping someone down, <laughs> right. uh, you, you, you might be headed towards damage. All right. What was Mr. Ives' first symptom of demonic possession, in air quotes. A, blindness. B, a pain in the throat. C, a crucifix burnt into his stomach. Or D, vomiting. The first? The first. I I, I left it out. That's why I said something in Uh the article. Hmm. I'm going to go with blindness, maybe. Okay. That's pretty telling. I, yeah. as a first sign, I lean towards vomiting. Right. Especially with the idea that he, he mentioned a snake inside of him. Mm-hmm. You know, the concept of something writhing in your guts. Um, it feels like symptomatically it's innocuous enough. And you might think, oh, yeah, uh, that, yeah. Might be, that might be something you're allowing. Because blindness seems pretty drastic. Well, you, know, you would think that that was a third or fourth symptom. You would <laughs> yeah. think. But I don't know. It's like these people seem like the types that wouldn't necessarily acknowledge, like, the, good point. you know, vomiting or some, t- mm-hmm. like a sore throat or something. I could be totally wrong about that. I just feel like oh, blind. Oh, sore throat and, and vomiting go together, go right. kind of hand in hand. So. I just feel like blindness would be something that would immediately trigger somebody who's in the mindset to strap down their loved one and exercise oh, yeah. That's them. That's a pretty extreme Of thing. being like, oh, this, there's no way this yeah. is something right. medical, you know? All right. Y'all ready to hear it? Sure. Yep. 
He had apparently become unwell two weeks earlier and had complained of a pain in his throat mm. and difficulty sleeping. Sure, there you go. Well, that's really disappointing on the family to not be like, you know. I know. Do you have any idea how many causes of sore throat there are right. in the world? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe dehydration can cause a sore throat. Yeah. Right. You know, um, but it is important to talk about these sort of situations because I don't think we really have ever mentioned it. But you know, it's exorcisms have been so popularized by social media and. Uh, movies and things like that. And don't get me wrong, I love a good exorcism movie. They're very fun to watch. But it is important to discuss the amount of people who have died from, you know, false exorcisms. Or or just that holy uh, religious fervor that comes from wanting to uh, correct a person's, not even demonic, just, you know, not holy attitude you know right if you have somebody who seems to be exhibiting mm-hmm. you know uh, uh, uh symptoms of, of lo- lack of faith oftentimes the faithful will turn to extreme measures to get your faith back online oh yeah all right here we go now this one's is a it's a chonky one oh, chonky. Okay. Chonky. Bring on chonky, the chonk. uh very good uh it's indie star Okay. Okay. So, you know, very uh, reliable source. Uh, and then uh, it is by Marissa Kwiatkowski. Kwiatkowski. All right, here we go. It was published a day before my birthday. All right. It's called The Exorcisms of Latoya Ammons. Mm. A woman and three children who claimed to be possessed by demons. A nine-year-old boy walking backwards up a wall in the presence of a family case manager and hospital nurse. Gary Police Captain Charles Austin said it was the strangest story he had ever heard. Austin, a 36-year-old veteran of the Gary Police Department, said he was initially thought uh, that he initially thought Indianapolis resident Latoya Ammons and her family concocted an elaborate tale as a way to make money. But after several visits to their home and interviews with witnesses, Austin said simply, I am a believer. That's the police is wow. saying I'm a believer. All right. Not everyone involved with the family was inclined to believe its incredible story. And many readers will find Ammons supernatural claims impossible to accept. But whatever the cause of the creepy occurrences that befell the family, whether they were seized by a systematic delusion or demonic possession, it led to one of the most unusual cases ever handled by the Department of Child Services. Many of the events are detailed in nearly 800 pages of official records obtained by the Indy Star and uh, recounted in more than a, a dozen interviews with police, DCS personnel, psychologists, family members, and a Catholic priest. This is interesting, guys. Ammons, who swears by her story, has been unusually open. When she spoke on on condition, her children not to be interviewed or named, she signed releases letting the star uh, review medical, psychological, and official records that are not open to the public and not always flattering. Furthermore, the family story is made only more bizarre because it involves a DCS intervention, a string of psychological evaluations, a police investigation, and ultimately a series of exorcisms. It's a tale, they say, that started with flies. In November 2011, Ammons 
Ammon's family moved into a rental house on Carolina Street in Gary, a quiet lane lined with small one-story homes. Big black flies suddenly swarmed their screen and porch in December, despite the winter chill. This is not normal, Ammon's mother, Rosa Campbell, remembers thinking. We killed them and killed them and killed them, but they kept coming back. There were other strange happenings, too. After midnight, Campbell and Ammons both said they occasionally heard the steady clump of footsteps climbing the basement stairs and the creak of the door opening between the basement and kitchen. No one was there. Even after they locked the door, the noise continued. Campbell said she awoke one night and saw a shadowy figure of a man pacing her living room. She leaped out of bed to investigate and found large, wet boot prints. On March 10th, 2012, Campbell said the family's unease turned to fear. It was about 2 a.m. Normally, Campbell, Ammons, and her children would have been asleep, but they were mourning the death of a loved one with a group of friends. Ammons, who was in Campbell's bedroom, startled everyone by screaming, Mama! Mama! Campbell said she ran into her bedroom where her then 12-year-old granddaughter and a friend were staying. Ammons and Campbell said the 12-year-old was levitating above the bed unconscious. According to the account of events, Ammons and several others surrounded the girl praying. Campbell said she remembers being terrified. I thought, what's going on, Campbell said. Why is this happening? Eventually, Campbell said her granddaughter descended onto the bed. The girl woke up with no memory of what happened, Campbell said. Campbell and Ammons said the people who were visiting the night refused to return. I'm sure. (laughs) Campbell said she remembers telling her daughter, we need help. We need to talk to someone who knows how to deal with it. Campbell and Ammons said they didn't know exactly what it was, but they believed it was something supernatural. They called local churches, but most refused to listen. What good are you? If you, I mean, come on, bro. You're a church. It's like what? You have to remember the congregation. Yeah. <laughs> Can't just show up at a yeah. church and be like, "Help." Right. <laughs> I guess. Eventually, after listening to Campbell and Ammons talk about the house and visiting it, officials at one church told them the Carolina Street house had spirits in it. They recommended the family clean the home with bleach and ammonia, then use oil to draw. Uh, crosses on every door and window. Okay. That's pretty normal. At the church's suggestion, Ammon said she poured olive oil on the three children's hands and feet, then smeared the oil in the shape of crosses on their foreheads. Campbell and Ammons also told the Star they reached out to two clairvoyants who said the family's home was besieged by more than 200 demons. Their explanation made sense to Campbell and Ammons, they say, uh, they say, because it meshed with their Christian faith. The best thing you can do is move, Ammons remembers the clairvoyance telling her, but moving wasn't an option for, ca- for the cash-strapped family. Instead, Ammons said she took a clairvoyance advice and made an altar in the basement. Mm. Ammons covered an end table with a white sheet, then placed a white candle and statue of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus on it. She opened a Bible to Psalm 91. She said uh, she, said she and another person donned white t-shirts and wound white scarves around their heads. Also on a clairvoyance advice, they burned sage, sage it, and sulfur throughout the house, starting upstairs and working their way down. 
The smoke was so thick they could hardly breathe. Ammons drew a cross with the smoke. The person she was with read Psalm 91 aloud as they moved through the house. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Ammon said nothing odd happened for three days. Then things got worse after three days, y'all. Lord. All right. That's pretty, that's pretty common for, I know, a, you know, I'm for a house exorcism, which is essentially what they were doing. Right. The family said demons possessed Ammons and her children, then ages 7, 9, and 12. The kids' eyes bulged, evil smiles crossed their faces, and their voices deepened every time it happened. That's weird. <laughs> Campbell and Ammon said. Campbell said the demons didn't affect her because she was born with the protection from evil. But she, uh, said she and others like her have a guardian who protects them. Ammon said she felt weak, lightheaded, and warm when she was possessed. Her body shook, and she said she felt out of control. You can tell it's different, something supernatural. The youngest boy, then seven, sat in a closet talking to a boy that no one else could see. The other boy was describing what it felt like to be killed. Campbell said the seven-year-old once flew out of the bathroom as if he had been thrown, and a headboard once smacked into Ammon's daughter, causing a wound that needed stitches. The 12-year-old would later tell mental health professionals that she sometimes felt as if she were being choked and held down and couldn't speak or move. She said she heard a voice say that she would never see her family again and wouldn't live for another 20 minutes. Some nights were so bad the family slept at a hotel. Finally, in desperation, they went to their family position, Dr. Jeffrey uh, Onyekwu, on April 19th, 2012. Ammon said she told him what they were going through, hoping he might understand. Onyekwu told the star it was bizarre. 20 years, and I've never heard anything like that in my life, he said. I was, sca I was scared myself, and I walked into the room. When I walked into the room. He said he would not speak in more detail unless Ammons had psychiatric clearance for the waiver of confidentiality she had signed. In the medical notes about the visit, Onyekwu wrote... Delusions of ghosts in home and hallucinations. He also wrote history of ghosts at home and delusional. What Ammons and Campbell say happened next also was detailed in a DCS report of the family case manager's interviews with medical staff. Campbell said Ammons cursed um, us. Campbell said Ammons' sons cursed on Yekwu in demonic voices raging at him. Medical staff said the youngest boy was lifted and thrown into the wall with nobody touching him, according to the DCS report. The boys erupted, passed out, and wouldn't come to, Campbell added. She cradled one boy in her arms. Ammons held the other. Someone from the doctor's office called 911. Onyekwu said seven or eight people, uh, police officers, uh, seven or eight police officers and multiple ambulances showed up. Everyone was, they couldn't figure out exactly what was happening, he recalled. Police and emergency personnel took the boys to a Methodist hospital's campus in Gary. Ammons in hospital uh, said hospital personnel laughed at her desire to anoint her sons in olive oil. I couldn't talk to them, she said, so I talked to God. The boys woke up in the hospital. The older boy, then nine, acted rationally, but the youngest screamed and thrashed, Campbell said. 
She said it took five men to hold him down. Wow. Meanwhile, someone called DCS and asked the agency to investigate Ammons for possible child abuse or neglect. The caller, who is not named in the DCS report, speculated that Ammons might have a mental illness. The person believed the children were performing for Ammons and she was encouraging their behavior. DCS family case manager Valerie Washington was <clears throat> asked to handle the initial investigation. She gave the following account to police in her intake officer's report. Hospital personnel examined Ammons and her children and found them to be healthy and free of marks or bruises. A hospital psychiatrist evaluated Ammons and determined that she was of sound mind. Washington interviewed the family at the hospital. When she spoke with Ammons, the seven-year-old boy started growling with his teeth showing. His eyes rolled back in his head. The boy locked his hands around his older brother's throat and refused to let go until adults pried his hands open. Later that evening, Washington and registered nurse Willie Lee Walker brought the two boys into a small exam room for an interview. Campbell joined them. The seven-year-old stared into the brother's eyes and began to growl again. It's time to die, the, voice, uh, the boy said in a deep, unnatural voice. I will kill you. While the youngest boy spoke, the older brother started headbutting, uh, headbutting Campbell in the stomach. Campbell grabbed her grandson's hands and started praying. What happened next would rattle the witnesses, and to some of it would not offer... Uh, would offer not only the evidence but proof of paranormal activity. Here we go. According to Washington's original DCS report, an account corroborated by Walker, the nurse, the nine-year-old boy, had a weird grin and walked backward up a wall to the ceiling. He then flipped over Campbell, landing on his feet. He never let go of his grandmother's hand. He walked up the wall, flipped over her, and stood there, Walker told the star. There's no way he could have done that. Later, police asked Washington whether the boy had run up the wall as though performing an acrobatic trick. No, Washington told them. She said the boy glided backwards on the floor, wall, and ceiling, according to a police report. <laughs> yikes. Big yikes. Washington did not respond to the star's request for comment, but she told police that she was scared when it happened and ran out of the room. As for Walker, Washington said, he ran out of the room with me. We didn't know what was going on, Walker told the star. That was crazy. I was like, everybody got to go. <laughs> everybody got to go. <laughs> According to Washington's report, they told a doctor what happened. The doctor, who did not believe them, asked the boy to walk up the wall again. Yeah, because that's what's going to happen. Uh, Walker said... Uh, he told the doctor he doubted the boy would repeat the feat. The kid was not himself when he did that, Walker said. The boy said he didn't rem remember what happened and couldn't do it, according to Washington's report. Walker, said, uh, Walker, who said he previously believed in demons and spirits, thought the boy's behavior had some, some demonic spirit to it, but also was a result of mental illness. A police report quoted Washington saying that she believed there to be an evil influence affecting the family. Ammon said she spent the night at the hospital with her seven-year-old son while Campbell took Ammon's daughter and older son to a relative's home in Gary. 
The next day was Ammon's youngest son's eighth birthday. Ammon said DCS officials asked Campbell to bring the older children back to the hospital, presumably to talk more about what happened. The family celebrated the boy's birthday by singing and eating a miniature cake. Oh, we did that in the last episode. Then Ammons said Washington told them the children wouldn't be going home. DCS took the emergency step of taking custody of the children without a court order. All of the children were experiencing spiritual and emotional distress, Washington wrote in the DCS form. Ammons told the stars she and her children cried because they didn't want to be separated. We'd already been through so much and fought so hard in, for our lives, she recalled. It was obvious we were a team and we were beating it, whatever we were fighting. We made it through together as a team and they separated us. The Reverend Michael Maginot was leading Bible study in his living room on the morning of April 20th, 2012, when he received a call from a hospital chaplain. Margineau, um, or Margineau, had been the priest at the St. Stephen Martyr Parish in Maryville for more than 10 years, but had never received a request like this one. The chaplain asked him to re- perform an exorcism on Ammon's nine-year-old son. Maginot agreed to interview the family after Sunday Mass a few days later. The first step, Maginot said, was ruling out natural causes for what Ammons and her family said they were experiencing. He visited Ammons and Campbell in the Carolina Street home April 20th, 2012, for two hours. Ammons and Campbell detailed the phenomena for him. Then Campbell interrupted the interview to point out a flickering bathroom light. The flickering stopped each time Maginot walked over to investigate, which he attributed to a demonic presence. It must be scared of me, he, told, he later told the star he had thought. The interview was interrupted again when Campbell pointed out Venetian blinds in the kitchen swinging even though there was no air current. Maginot said he also saw wet footprints throughout the living room. Ammons complained about having a headache. Maginot said she she convulsed when he placed a crucifix against her head. After a four-hour interview, Maginot said he was convinced the family had been tormented by demons. He said he also believed that there were ghosts in the house. Maginot blessed the house before he left, praying, reading from the Bible, and sprinkling holy water in each room. He told Ammons and Campbell to leave because it wasn't safe. They temporarily moved in with the relative. But less than a week later, the two women were back on Carolina Street to let Washington, the DCS family case manager, check on the condition of the home. Washington asked a Lake County police officer to come with her. Two other officers, one each from Gary and Hammond Police Departments, asked to join them out of professional curiosity. Ammons (laughs) refused to go inside, but Campbell agreed to accompany the group. Ammons' kids still were in DCS custody. The main floor had three bathrooms, a living room, one bathroom, hardwood floors, and a small open-style kitchen. A door in the kitchen led to a basement with concrete floors. Directly under the stairs was a dirt floor. The concrete around it was jagged, and though it had been uh, as if it had been broken. The makeshift altar Ammons had created was still in place, along with the rings of salt she had poured against the basement walls to dissuade the demons, according to Hammond Police Department report. Campbell told officers the demons seemed to emanate from beneath the stairs. 
Austin, the Gary police captain, was one of the officers. He told uh, he later told the Star he believed in ghosts and the supernatural, but said he didn't believe in demons. Austin said that he changed his mind after visiting the <laughs> Carolina Street House. During the interview with Campbell, one of the officers' audio recorders malfunctioned, according to Austin and Hammond police uh, records. The, pow- the power light flashed to indicate the batteries were dying, even though the officer had placed fresh batteries in the recorder earlier that day. Another officer recorded audio, and when he played it back later, heard an unknown voice whisper, Hey. Hey. According to uh, a Lake County <laughs> police uh, records. The police also took photos of the house in one photo of the basement stairs. There was a cloudy white image in the upper right-hand corner. When, uh, when an officer enlarged the photo, that cloud do, uh, appeared to resemble a face. The enlargement also revealed a second green image that police say looked like a female. Austin said photos he snapped with his iPhone also seemed to have strange silhouettes in them. The radio in his, in his police-issued Ford malfunctioned on the way home. Later, Austin said the garage at his Gary home refused to open. Wow. Even though the power was on every, uh, everywhere else. Austin said that the driver's seat in, in his personal 2005 Infinity also started moving backwards and forward on its own. He said he had the car checked out a dealership and the mechanic told him the motor on the driver's back seat was broken, which the mechanic said could have caused a distraction leading to the accident, leading to an accident. Austin said he found himself starting to believe Ammons' claim of paranormal activity, but the mental health professionals evaluating Ammons and her children remain skeptical. In April 2012, DCS petitioned Lake Juvenile Court for uh, temporary wardship of the three children. The request was granted. DCS found that Ammons neglected her children's education by not having them in school regularly. The agency made the same finding in 2009, its records show. Ammons told Washington there were times she could not send the kids to school because the spirits would make them sick or they would be up all night without sleep. DCS temporarily placed her daughter and older son at St. Joseph's Carmelite Home in East Chicago. Ammons' youngest son was sent to uh, Christian Haven in Whitfield, in Wheatfield for a psychiatric evaluation. Clinical psychologist Stacy Wright, who evaluated Ammon's youngest son, said the boy tended to act possessed when he was challenged, redirected, or asked questions he didn't want to answer. In her evaluation, uh, Wright wrote that he seemed coherent and logical except for when he talked about demons. It was then the eight-year-old son's story became bizarre, fragmented, and illogical, Wright said. His stories changed each time he told them. He also changed the subject, quizzing Wright on math problems and asking her about outer space. Can you die if you go to space, he asked. How do you get to space? Do you have to wear a helmet and suit? Wright believed the eight-year-old did not suffer from a true psychotic disorder. This appears to be an unfortunate and sad case of a child who has been induced into a delusional system perpetrated 
perpetuated. I don't know. I'm just going with it. By his mother and uh, potentially reinforced by other relatives. She wrote in a psychological evaluation. Clinical psychologist Joel Schwartz, who evaluated Ammon's daughter and older son, came to a similar conclusion. There also appears to be, uh, to be a need to assess the ex- extent to which Ammon's daughter may have been unduly influenced by her mother's concern that the family was exposed to paranormal experiences. Schwartz wrote, Ammon's daughter told Schwartz that she saw shadowy figures in the Carolina Street home. She also said she twice went into trances. Ammon's older son told Schwartz that doors would slam and stuff started moving around. Ammon's also was examined several times by psychologists who said she was guarded but did not seem to be experiencing uh, symptoms of psychosis or thought disorder. One psychologist recommended Ammon's be assessed to uh, determine whether her uh, religiosity... Is that how you say it? Religiosity? Religiosity. 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 It was weird. One of those ways. Maybe masking underlying delusional ideations or perception, uh, perceptual disturbances. Ammons and all three kids continued to insist they were possessed by demons. DCS set goals for the family. One of them stipulated that the children not discuss demons and being possessed and take responsibility for their actions. They also needed to participate in therapy to address past behavior. While DCS officials credited Ammons for sharing a close bond with her children... The agency also said she needed uh, to use alternate forms of discipline not directly related to religion and demonic possession, according to DCS's case plan. Appropriate uh, discipline included encouragement rules and withholding privileges. She could work on those goals during supervised visits with the children. Ammons also had to find a job and appropriate housing due to the paranormal activity and house on Carolina Street. While Ammons worked on meeting those objectives, police and DCS officials continued to investigate strange happenings in the house. This is the end, y'all. Here we go. It's a long one, I know, but it's it's chonky, but I thought it was just so interesting. No, it is. It's super interesting. for sure. All right. The group was a bit larger this time. Campbell, Ammons, Austin, and two other police officers from the initial visit went back to Carolina Street home on the afternoon of May 10th, 2012. The police officers visited after work hours. They were joined by Maginot, two Lake County uh, uh, officers with the police dog, and DCS family case manager Samantha Illick. Illick, who is there in an original uh, official capacity, told the star she volunteered to go in Washington's place because Washington didn't want to go back to the house. A county officer took the police dog around the home, but the dog didn't show any interest in the particular area, according to the Lake County uh, police records. Everyone else headed into the basement. Illick touched some strange liquid she saw dripping in the basement and said it felt slippery yet sticky between her fingers. Maginot told police he wanted to check the dirt under the stairs for a pentagram or personal objects that might have been cursed. He said a pentagram might indicate a demon, a demonic presence and possible portal to hell, according to Lake County uh, Police Report. Or if someone had died in the house and buried under the stairs, it could explain paranormal activity, Maginot added. One of the police officers dug a four-foot by three-foot hole beneath the stairs, unearthing a pink 
press on fingernail, a white pair of panties, a political shirt pin, a lid for a small cooking pan, socks with bottoms cut off below the ankles, uh, candy wrappers, and a heavy metal object that looked like a weight for a drapery cord, police records state. Finding nothing else, the officer replaced the dirt and raked over it. Maginot blessed some salt, uh, which he said is a barrier to evil, and spread it under the stairs and throughout the basement. Illich said she later uh, she was later standing in the living room with the rest of the group when her left pinky finger started to tingle and whiten. She complained it felt broken. Less than 10 minutes later, Illich said she felt as if she was having a panic attack. She couldn't breathe, so she walked outside to wait for the group. When the priest started questioning Ammons inside the house, she complained of a headache and shoulder pain, according to police reports. She found she joined Illich outside. Austin said he left the house at nightfall. Austin, who had been shot at, has, been investiga- uh, has investigated murders, rapes, and armed robberies during his more than three years of decades on the force. I mean, uh, not three years, more than three decades on the force, said he wasn't staying in that house past dark. Yikes. The camera automatically shut off, but um, I'm going to go grab it real fast, but y'all go ahead and talk. We're at the very end. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, this is way different than the other exorcism story (laughs) that we read um this one's definitely got way more base that i i believe them more so that it's an actual possession of a family or not all of them being possessed but at least all being tormented by entities yeah i know this story this is the demon house oh Oh. (laughs) this is what the demon house this is the Demon House. The Demon House. Oh, lit! And there's a documentary you can watch on it called The Demon House. Oh, uh, and that. if you want to visit pieces of the Demon House because it has been torn down, oh no, you can find it at Zach Baggins. Oh, uh, that's it. Museum. Yes. Oh. Uh, he he has reconstructed the basement of the building oh. with original pieces of the building and some of the artifacts from the house. Oh boy. Um, yeah, this is this was a big deal because of the amount of paperwork. Oh, yeah. Uh, from numerous agencies, from numerous eyewitnesses, all of them professionals, all of them going on record to, um, to basically uh, fortify the overall suspicion of demonic activity, of, of supernatural activity. And while the state cannot... Um, make determinations like that because yeah. you know the welfare of children and things of that nature it was fascinating how many people of an official capacity whose general beliefs do not align align with that with that particular thing all came to the, a very similar conclusion of this is this place is bad news yeah Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to, uh, this is, the, again, this is the very end. Um, I'm just going to finish it up and we can talk more about it and it's going to be great. And I have a question for y'all. All right. The other officers continue to walk through the home. On the main floor, they notice an oil-like substance dripping from Venetian's bl- Venetian blinds in the bedroom, but couldn't figure out where it was coming from, police records state. To make sure Campbell or Ammons hadn't poured oil on the blinds, Two of the officers used paper towels to clean it off. The officers sealed the room for 25 minutes and stood nearby so no one could walk in. When they, when they went back in, the oil had reappeared, according to uh, police records. Maginot told 
police, the liquid was a manifestation of a paranormal and demonic presence. He wrote a report detailing his findings and asked Bishop Dale Melzek permission to uh, perform an exorcism on Ammons. Maginot said Melzek had never uh, authorized an exorcism in 21 years as a bishop of the Diocese of Gary. Debbie Bozak, uh, director of communications for the diocese, said she cannot comment on whether Melzek has ever approved an exorcism for confidentiality reasons. In general, she said such an action would require a bishop's approval. Melzek initially denied Maginot's request to do a church-sanctioned exorcism, Maginot said. The, uh, the bishop told Maginot to contact other priests who had performed exorcisms. Maginot said he needed other priests to give him the ritual for a minor exorcism, which does not require church approval. The priests he consulted told him to look it up on the internet. <coughs> He said he did Boom. an intense blessing on Carolina Street home to expel bad spirits. The same day, Maginot performed a minor exorcism on Ammons. The ritual consisted of prayer statements and appeals to cast out the demons. Two police officers and Illick, the DCS family case manager, attended the ritual. Illick said uh, she left believing that something was going on although she wouldn't go as far as saying it was demonic. She said um, she, uh, she said she got chills during the nearly two-hour rite. We felt like someone was in the room with you, uh, someone breathing down your neck. Illick said she had a string of medical problems after visiting the home. Mm. A week after she visited the house for the last time, Illick said she got third-degree burns from a motorcycle. Within 30 days, she also broke three ribs jet skiing, broke a hand when she hit a table, then broke an ankle running in flip-flops. I had friends who, those are all dangerous things except for the table, by the right. way. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, still. Um, I had friends who wouldn't walk, uh, who wouldn't talk to me because they believed that something had attached itself to me. Illick said her joking response. I'm already evil. They try to find something that's not evil and corrupt it. They wouldn't waste their time on me. That's Funny. a that's speaking Funny. highly. Okay. Of. <laughs> After the minor ritual, Maginot told uh, Ammons to look up the names of demons that were tormenting her. Each demon has a name and personality. Maginot said, "A name has power." The police, the priest added, and he planned to use those names to fight the demons during the exorcisms. Ammons said she and an old friend looked up the demons' names online by searching for demons that represented <laughs> the problems the family the had yes. the family had been having the computer kept shutting down <laughs> she said she felt sick lightheaded but she said she found a name that fit or she found names that fit one such name was blank ammon said she said they also found names of demons that torture, torture and hurt kids, which she felt explained what happened in the Carolina Street house. Ammon said other high-ranking demons also were assigned to her, including lieutenants and sergeants. Okay. After the minor rite, Maginot and Bishop Melzek gave him permission to exercise Ammons. The ritual is the same as the minor exorcism, but more powerful because it had been back in the Catholic Church, Maginot said. Maginot uh, ultimately performed three major exorcisms on Ammons, two in English and the last one in Latin in June 2012 at his Maryville Church. 
uh, during each, Maginot said, he praised God and condemned the devil. He pressed a crucifix against Amma's head as he spoke. I cast you out, unclean spirit, along with every satanic power of the enemy, every specter from hell, and all, uh, um, and all your fell companions in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maginot said his voice continued to get louder and more forceful until the demon weakened. He said he could tell how strong the demon was, how much Ammon's convulsed two police officers officers who had kept in touch with Maginot since the home inva- um, investigation stood nearby in the Ammons, uh, in case Ammons needed to be restrained. Ammons said she prayed with Maginot until it became too painful. She said she felt as if something inside her was trying to hold on and inflict the pain at sa- at the same time. She said it was the diff- uh, the she said it was different from a natural pain but felt as intense as giving birth. I was hurting all over from inside out, she remembered. I'm trying to do my best and be strong. Eventually, Magino said, Ammons fell asleep. She said the demon's way of lessening the ritual's effect. No, um, in, in between the second and third exorcism, Magino said he went on a retreat. A woman who assisted Maginot with uh, who assisted Maginot with some of the exorcism helped set up a backup plan in case Ammons had possibly um, had problems while Maginot was gone the woman wrote the demon uh, the long demon name Maginot said he can't remember which one it was on the on the piece of paper and tucked it in an envelope then she surrounded it with blessed salt if Ammons had problems, the woman would burn the envelope, Magino said. By this time, Ammons and her mother had moved to Indianapolis, but they drove back for the exorcisms and court hearings as her children were still in DCS's care. Mm. Magino said he blessed the family's new home to prevent more problems, but Ammons called while Magino was on his retreat complaining of bad dreams, so the woman burned the envelope. She saved the ashes to burn later in a church bonfire. After that, Ammon said her nightmares ended. In the final exorcism at the end of June 2012, Maginot said he prayed and berated the demons in Latin rather than English. Police officers did not attend, so Maginot said his brother stood guard. Maginot said um, Ammon's convulsed while he condemned the demons, but did not convulse during prayer. When she fell asleep, he said words of thanksgiving. It would be the last time Ammon saw Maginot. She and her mother drove back to Indianapolis, where they now live without fear. Ammon's old home on Carolina Street became an object of local curiosity, so much so that the owner and landlord, Charles Reed, called Gary Police Department to ask officers to stop driving by the house because it was scaring his new tenant. He said there were no problems in the home before or after Ammons and her family lived there. I thought I heard it all, said Reed, who's been a landlord for 33 years. This was a new one to me. My belief system had a hard time jumping over that bridge. When told of the Catholic Church's involvement in the situation, however, Reed said that made him less skeptical. Ammons regained custody of her three children in November 2012, about six months after they'd been removed. DCS continued to check in on the children and make sure they were going to school uh, until the case was closed last February. Ammons called the, uh, her children's return the happiest day of her life. She said uh, they screamed and jumped up and down, and she picked them up from the DCS office in Gary. It was just awesome, Ammons said. Uh, I hadn't been 
that happy in God knows how long. The children said they were safe. Uh, yeah, the children said they were safe after they left the house on Carolina Street. The family said the three left the demonic voices and complaints behind them. No demonic presidents or spirits in the home. Um, wow. Oh, just a little bit more. DCS family case manager Christina Oljanik uh, wrote in a team meeting um, in team meeting notes dated January twenty. 20- 2013 she did not return uh calls from the star seeking comment the family is no longer fixated solely on religion to explain or cope with the children's behavior issues uh Olgenek and her supervisor wrote in a request for dismissal of wardship dating uh dated january 24 2013 for her part ammon said it was not the psychologist um who resolved her problems, but God, when you hear something like this, she said, don't assume it's real because I've lived it. I know it's real. Oh, don't assume it's not real because I've lived it. I know it's real. Boom. Wow. Woo. That was a lot of reading, but worth it, right? Like a lot of, it's very crazy. It's it's such a uh, intricate story with so many, uh, wonderful, like, eyewitness accounts and, Mm -hmm. and so much weight really when it comes down to it, because no one, no one was seeking to uh, capitalize on it, and and there was yeah. very little capitalizing on, you know, any of it really. Um, so yeah, it's uh, crazy. It's nasty. It's a it's a very disturbing story, and worth noting that 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 was kind of proving the point of what we were saying with the last exorcism story, where it's like everybody was trying to make sure that it wasn't some type of medical situation, a mental illness, some kind of solution that could be solved without exorcism. And their logical answers made sense within the construct of it all. If you did not want to go down the demonic possession or the supernatural route, they were coming up with pretty solid answers that seemed to be, you know, akin to religious hysteria and akin to, you know, things like that, which which are not abnormal or, or odd. And, and everyone took very official action, but the fact that the official action boiled down to, you know, cops and caseworkers showing up for exorcisms, that, you know, gives it a, uh, a coloring of there was, there was enough wrong. Right. There was enough unanswered and there was enough suggestion of, you know, eyewitness accounts and eyewitness, you know, uh, experiences that lead you down the road of, should we entertain the notion that we're dealing with something demonic? Absolutely. All right. The question is, which demon did this? You can't make me say a name. Um, and and for, for further edification, um, and this is, uh, again, my own personal belief system, um, when you do deep dives into demonics, when you do deep dives into stories of demons, you are turning a light on in the dark. Um, it is well known and even mentioned in the article how powerful knowing a demon's name is, how powerful, you know, having the demon's name ready, you know, um, in order to uh, exercise a demon, you have to speak its name. In order to summon a demon, you have to speak its name. Uh, the repelling of a demon you know, the idea of burning the name from this realm to the next realm, using the ashes, all that stuff. Um, It's a tricky game because it's about solidifying a demon's experience. I can tell you right now, I feel deeply unsettled because we spent a lot of time 
building the story, I have a headache, I'm a little dizzy, and I'm, I'm like, no, this is exactly how you invite this kind of behavior. The whole time, the noises that are coming around, mm-hmm. I heard footsteps behind me. <laughs> I'm, I'm now in, in, in a, a frame of mind, Ooh. which would be invitational if we were to speak names. However, the name that would come to my mind, of course, is oftentimes referred to as the Lord of the Flies, the, mm-hmm. you know, a, a principle of, of hell. These are the things that come to mind when, uh, when you hear the story as the first harbinger of this were black flies. I have personal experience with this demon, and I do not wish to make any forays into it. Um, uh, but that would be my guess is whom... Uh, who who were they too, looking really? into mm-hmm. by namesake? Does um, this name start with a B? Of course. Well, yeah. It does. <laughs> okay, <laughs> y'all got it right. Uh, but that's that's just it. Uh, we we live in a in a weird time when access to this information is very easy. You can go on yeah. the internet, get a list of the demons' names. You can do these things, but. It's about that seeding, you know, like, like when you're listening and when you're invested and you're, you're building it. Because even right now, I, I just, again, heard what I could only describe as a, an exhalation of breath. There's a, there's a notion that what, I, what we're doing is we're, uh, we're marinating our brains, right? <laughs> we're we're, 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 we're marinate, marinating it for, for, uh, for a proper cook. Um, and n- not to suggest that we're... We're at risk, but to say that I have enough uh, personal uh, uh, investment in not encountering demons, <laughs> then I'm not going to say any names. Yeah. Heard. On a lighter note, um, there was this fly named Thickens. Um, we, we named him. We named him Thick. Well, actually, Michael. Michael, uh, uh, he was on the podcast like, 50 million episodes back um <laughs> and he had uh we were we were um we went to college together and we went to Popeye's and there was a fly at Popeye's that we visited a couple uh, a couple times in one week and it, it must have died because they don't live long um and uh but it but he would literally clump down onto the table like I mean just full-blown like poof, onto the table holy hell and um we called him and michael goes oh my gosh it's thickens and thickens the fly thickens uh, the fly. is honestly like a legend now you know mm-hmm. for, in our friendship and you know in madison madison we always see thickens um you know like we like we've seen like almost 17 thickens now and they're just massive flies that are that live in fast food restaurants and um they eat grease and chicken and they just get freaking thick but the point with that was it's interesting that we're discussing this with the fly. Don't scare Chris. One. Well, no, because scare Chris. we have two massive flies that showed up in our house. Um, I knew you were going to say that. I was just going to say, I was just going to tell the story of Thickens, but no, you got to go there. Well, there was yeah. a drastic change in our weather. We went from, from, from winter to to near summer very drastically. Yeah, that's why the flies came and in, babe. Well, I know. And, I just like to unsettle people. Yeah. So it's yes. Like- the unsettle. Uh, one of my encounters with this demon, uh, when I was in Saudi Arabia, Iraq, when I was in Iraq, uh, we had an issue with flies. They would come in swarms so thick you couldn't see through them. 
And so um, we would treat our tents with, uh, with this very intense uh, bug spray that they gave us. Uh, learned later that that bug spray was actually just nerve gas, like the chemical weapon, just like a super watered down. <laughs> so like late at night, we'd be like looking at our thumbs twitching. We're like, what do you think that's about? I don't know. Uh, in any case, um, one night we were on uh, watch guard. Uh, and this fog came in and this fog was so thick. I mean, literally couldn't see your hand in front of your face. It was just so thick. You turn on your flashlight and you couldn't see the light from your flashlight. It was, wow. it, and you watched it come in. It was just this, this, this thing. And then you're, we're in foxholes. So we're standing in this foxhole and it's, it's me and my buddy and we're on guard duty and we're, we're just like, I've never seen a fog like this. And we see out in the distance. Now um, the Humvees had these, uh, these like little um, infrared lights, these, these red low lights so that, the enemy wouldn't be able to see us at night. You know, it just shines a very simple red light onto the ground and, and there's this thing coming at us and we're thinking that it's, the, it's a Humvee or, or, or maybe a convoy because we're seeing these two red lights in the fog. And we're like, weird because I just turned my flashlight on. And my flashlight, of course, has a cap on it so that's not like just this blinding light. But I had a hard time seeing it in the fog. But I'm seeing this, these, these lights, and we're, oh we're just looking at it. And, and me and my friend, my friend, who was also kind of uh, paranormally minded, uh, he would he he would talk about how the desert that we were in was where all monsters come from. It was the birthplace of monsters, and Whoa. this was you know the the cradle of of evil, Pandora's box, all that good stuff. So you know, <laughs> we spent a lot of time talking this stuff, and and here come these red lights at us. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, and uh, we, we have a call and response for passwords and for security purposes. So we're calling out because we're thinking that the lights are close enough sure. for whoever's driving to hear us. And we're like, you know, hey, hey. And that's when we start hearing this buzzing of oh. a swarm of flies, just a buzz that was becoming droning to the point at which when we were doing the call out, we couldn't hear our own voices over the sounds of flies all around us. And the flies seemed to be just swarming around us. We didn't feel a thing, but the sound was just kind of deafening. And these two red lights passed right over us, like one oh on each side of us. Oh and boy. we're just like, what just happened? And of course, my friend is like, that was a load of flies. Oh. He's on the prowl. And he's like, and he knows where we are. <laughs> well, well, there you go. So. Whoa. Okay. So don't wow. make Chris say it. <laughs> I, I didn't you know y'all got it y'all yep. got it yep yep i wonder if like um thickens is like his main fly <laughs> maybe maybe thickens is his do boy you know thickens the do boy yes <laughs> award him with greasy chicken <laughs> who wouldn't want that I know. well hopefully y'all are still listening i know <laughs> this has been a uh, a longer episode but uh, if you'd like us to react and discuss more like true documented horror stories and things of that nature, let us know uh, since this is a new segment. But hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, if you don't already follow us on social media, you can follow us under Haunted City Podcasts on all platforms. Also, you can find us over on Patreon where you can become a para-junkie and get all the fun exclusive content, uh, no ads, Get it basically the same day we film it. It's very fun. Hopefully the demon doesn't come and get us while we're here, but, you know, it's fine. Uh, but regardless, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode, and stay spooky, y'all. <laughs>